Hey guys, thanks again for joining us on the Foundry Church podcast. Every week we upload a new message, so make sure you subscribe. That way you can be notified right when that goes up. And if you're looking to stay connected with us throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook and subscribing to our YouTube channel. With that said, let's get into the next part of our series, Life to the Full. On a rainy day, isn't that the worst sound in the world? When you're like, oh, just let me sleep for another 11, 12 hours. Um, Good morning, Foundry Church. My name's Eric Folkers. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And as we get going today, we're talking today about fullest enjoyment. And we're really going to take a walk through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, there's a cool little historical reality to this. So Philip, King Philip of the Macedonians, the Greeks, he, um, the city of Philippi is named after him. Philip was the father of Alexander the Great who defeated uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, King Xerxes, Artaxerxes, and King Darius, all mentioned in the Bible many times, uh, the book of Daniel and things. So this, this book, uh, this city of Philippians has, um, has great historical significance. It's also really um, the title book to the church of Philippians, and we talk through this letter Paul wrote them, the Apostle Paul writing this letter and really saying uh, one central message of it was joy. There is joy in this life. So I'm going to have Justin come out. Um, we have not practiced what we're about to do because public failure goes best unrehearsed. Um, so what we're going to do is um, if you, you know, I hear people say like church people can be a little weird. And I'm like, you haven't seen the half of it. Like we're going to show you. So you're going to help me out because Justin and I have our, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You're good. Dude, you, you do this for like literally for a living. Don't get chicken on me now. All right. So Justin and I have prepared a special number number for you. <laughs> um, you ready? All right, go for it. If you know it, second time through, you can sing along. All right. Where? Tuesday. That's awesome. Well done. All right. So that song, if you're a Christian kid, you grow up and you're like, I don't know if I have the joy. I got a lot of stuff going on here. You know, maybe you're 13, you got your first chin hair, and you're like, everything's changing. You know, everything's weird here. But here's the thing. When we talk about having life to the full, remember our our series, this is about life to the full, and Jesus said, I came to give them life and life to the full. The thief steals, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus said, have come to give you life to the full. And part of life is joy. God intends that there'll be joy, but here's the thing. If the the words of Christ are true, which they are, we know this. There are wolves who come to destroy your joy. They come to destroy it. There are thieves and robbers who want to steal your joy. But here's the reality. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It is not some passive, um, like, weak and meek thing. The joy of the Lord is literally, it's our most powerful thing over and against the circumstances we face. God did not intend for you to live or to, for you to create a rigid, boring, always serious, bitter life. So if you're living one of those, but you feel good in your piety as a Christian, feel good no longer. Because there's a fullest enjoyment that is, theirs, that is there for you. And I won't sing the song again, but my special part of the song, where? 
right? Where, where's our joy? Boy, that was a real crack. <clears throat> um, sorry about that. I was at the football game Saturday, Friday and Saturday. It was a really cl- close game, and I screamed a lot. Um, so my voice is a little weird. But um, if you have this, this kind of rigidity that says, no, I'm not going to enjoy this, the reality is you are bound by your circumstances and you are not living from deep within the well within you of joy. The joy that's in your heart through Christ is something that can't be stolen from you. So I want to really talk through four different aspects of our life where we should have joy and joy to the fullest. The first is this. You should have joy in your walk with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says it this way. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I'm dyslexic, so that makes perfect sense to me. But that seems a little weird, doesn't it? Who here thinks, yeah, to die is gain? I was hoping that had happened today. Most of us didn't think that. Most of us didn't think that. But why would the Apostle Paul feel this way? What kind of person could say this and feel that kind of abiding joy beyond his circumstances to where life is like taking up his cross and following Christ. But to die is gain. It means he has a bigger perspective. And here's the cool thing. The Apostle Paul, on one of the central hills of Rome, there were seven hills in the city of Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison between 60 and 62 AD in prison, in the Mamertinian prison, in the heart of Nero's Rome. He would be martyred there. The Apostle Paul was in prison. So what kind of person could write this letter? Who could be so joyful? But let's think about the old Apostle Paul. He was a hater of the church. He tried to imprison, murder, and destroy as many members of the church as he could. But he also wasn't bound by his circumstances. In every circumstance, he gave thanks he was able to look at everything and say, this is, it's okay. This is beyond me. It's God's. And if my circumstances are horrible, I'll be fine. Which means this. He wasn't anxious about what was coming his way. There should be joy in my walk with the Lord. And it's opponent, right? It's football Sunday. There's opponents that line up to push you the other way. The opponent of joy in your walk with the Lord is anxiety. Paul, joyful, even in the Mamertinian prison on the Capitoline Hill in downtown Rome, where the forum is just right, it was just be, I think, just off to the east there. This huge Roman metropolis. Paul's in prison there. And he could have been, well, angry because he knew the burden of the churches that needed him. Even there were, there were people out there trying to compete with Paul, trying to steal Paul's name, his identity, writing false letters in his name. It was identity theft circa A.D. 60, right? He had people who were trying to steal the churches. He had people who were trying to mislead the congregations he had planted. Philip, the church of Philippi was the very first planted church in the, outside of Jerusalem in the world. And here's the thing. Everybody's trying to get Paul in trouble and ruin him. He had a lot to worry about. He had a lot to worry about as proven by the loss of his life by being beheaded a few years from now in this writing. He would lose his head to Emperor Nero and gain glory. 
He wasn't anxious. And the reality is we get to look at this and understand that it's not that our anxieties and our circumstances aren't real. They're just not as real as the God we serve. Like, think about that. Think about that. We have traded our own inner, like, looping and fixating and anxieties for the promises and the joy of God, and it steals our joy. It robs us of joy. It destroys our joy. There's a scripture out of Philippians 4, verses 5, and it says this. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, make no, uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, goes above, beyond, in, through, and around all understanding. That will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where do we have our joy? Down in our heart. And God says, and Paul says to the church, man, don't, don't be owned by these things. Every situation. Notice that he says that. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, Paul knows the realities that we face. He understands and he sympathizes on a one-to-one basis with us saying, look, in every situation you face, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. What happens when we get anxious? We lose sight of everything around us. We lose sight of all the good things going on that God has done. One of the things Paul calls us to do, and we should lean in on this, is to to step back and give thanks. It's critical that we give thanks. Because giving thanks says this, doesn't mean my circumstances aren't bad. It just means my circumstances aren't God. God is over them. And when we can look at our circumstances and in every situation, give thanks, regardless of what we're facing, we begin to experience the joy of this life in Christ that is now infecting the world around us. And they're like, your life is horrible. Why are you so joyful? Why are you at peace? I'm at peace because my circumstances aren't my God. I'm at peace, not because everything's rosy, but because he said everything will be okay. He will lead me by streams, still streams, and green pastures. He will be my shepherd. He will care for me and put me in places where I can truly live. And that may be on the other side of this life. We may go through such hardship that on the other side of this life is where we finally have experiential peace and easy going. We may not survive long enough to experience all the easy things of this life, but we will experience the goodness of God, whether in this life or the next. So for you and I, we hold on to that and understand Thanksgiving is a critical aspect to who we are as Christians. It literally is like putting a ladle into a bucket of water and pulling up joy. It's like, whoosh, I remember the faithfulness of God. Whoosh. I remember that in these situations, he was good, he was just, and he cared for me. And you keep dipping in and remembering what he does, and eventually it becomes a guard to your own heart as we live forward in the gospel mission. There should be joy in our relationships. This is the second thing. There should be joy in relationships, and what I've noticed in, um, in my life, 
in the life of the world around me, having started my, um, my tenure in ministry right before the dawn of social media into this current context, what I would say is one of the things that has happened is we have traded a manic, psychotic, addictive relationship for a joyful relationship. We should have joy in our relationships. Check out this scripture from uh, Philippians here. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if there is any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When we look at this, we need to understand and go back to all that Jesus Christ laid down for you and I to be in a relationship with him. Because we are living in a world where we will cut people off, block people, and move on from them because of personal offense. I just want to take a minute and lay out for us what Jesus Christ did. He is the very first word of creation. We are a, a triune faith. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, three in one. And Jesus Christ, as John 1 says, was the very first word of creation. He was with God in the beginning and nothing that was made was made without him. He was there. Christ is the co-eternal Son of God. He's seen it all. And what did he do? What did Jesus Christ do? Well, I think the amazing thing is, is it's found in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. And it says this. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How much did Jesus Christ lay down for you and I to be sons and daughters of God? And yet he found true joy in the relationships he created with the apostles, with the different people in his sphere, with Mary, with Martha, with his brothers and sisters. He found joy in it. He found joy in that relationship, and here's the reality that we have lost. We take constantly. We put expectations on people, and then we distance ourselves when they don't live up to them. But what did Jesus constantly do? He was poured out on our behalf, and we are called to serve. We are those who serve, because in the end, we love those we serve. If you think I'm wrong, go ask a mom with a three-month-old kid who hasn't slept more than three hours in one, you know, chunk time, why they still love that kid who's ruined their whole life. They're like, they haven't ruined my life. That mom might hit you with a very full diaper bag, right? She'd be like, how dare you say that? They didn't ruin my life. I'm happy to get up. I mean, maybe not in the moment, but at 2 a.m. and feed this hungry little thing who then needs to burp and then does themselves dirty and I have to change that before I can go back, turn off the machine, and lay back down, and two hours later, ah! that is rough. But we love those we serve. And when you serve, 
like a mom does to her babies. You love them more and more. You invest in them more and more. We take interest in relationships the more we pour into them, not the more we get from them. That's the difference between a hostile corporate takeover and family. A corporate takeover just sucks the life out of something and leaves a carcass. Family builds one another up and speaks life and hope and purpose into them. In our relationships, we should serve. We love and find joy when we pour out our life, not when we try to feed our insatiable, immediate appetites. And this is one of the things that is really true. We have so many immediate appetites. So, so many things we want right now, and we miss all of our opportunities to serve the relationships we have because we're too focused on ourselves. So there should be joy in our relationships versus our selfishness. And let's just name it for what it is. Our insatiable appetites and desires are nothing more than repainted selfishness. They're self-centered means of getting by. But when you begin to pour into other people, you give at great expense to yourself, and you do so with the joy of the Lord. There is a satisfaction in investing in someone and seeing them flourish, even if it's at your expense. Again, ask a mom. Ask a mom who has served her family. Ask a dad who's exhausted from the work and the grind and getting to ball games and getting to different things. Ask somebody who has had a sick spouse or friend that they have just sat with and poured into and poured into. They don't hate the person who's ill. They love them. Their life is connected to them because they've poured their life into them. It says this in Philippians 2, 22, uh, 2.21, I think it is. Um, and this is the Apostle Paul from prison writing this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So Timothy, first and second Timothy, the books. Uh, this is the man that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Where's Paul? He's in prison. And it's not prison where you get a, a bed and three meals a day. It's prison where if no one comes and feeds you, you die. And who is the one, who is the one looking out for someone's welfare? Timothy. And Paul sends him to go check on a church at great personal expense. And it goes on to say, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We all have interests. The world has its MO. The world has its kind of this, this sense of how it's going to operate, how it's going to function, and what's going to happen. Everyone looks out for number one. After me, you're first. Right? The other day in a grocery store, I was at Aldi. I wasn't paying a quarter for my cart, so I'm standing there with like, you know, 19 things, and I'd forgotten to grab a box, so it was tenuously balanced, like where you're holding dressing with your chin, you're like, this is fine, I got it, you know, and I'm standing there, and I probably have like six or seven things, like not, not a bunch, and there's a lady in front of me with just a cart full, like she's feeding an army of people, and I'm like, it's fine, you know, you don't have to notice me that I have stuff, it's good, right, and this... <laughs> This person comes up behind me, and they have like two things, and she goes, oh, oh, go, go ahead and come on. And I was like, how dare you? Because you invited them to step on my face and leapfrog me, too. And I'm holding things, ma'am, right? I was super unhappy. 
the joy of the Lord was not my strength. But I wanted to be like, I'm going to set this down and hit you with a gallon of milk. Like, I was so mad. I was like, how could you do that? Don't you know the laws of justice and grocery etiquette, ma'am? Oh, after me, you're first. Boom. And just get out of the way, right? But that's not the kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom of Eric, right? I would have loved to have her spot and then Johnny Appleseed, who came around me, I was so bitter about that. I don't want someone else getting my stuff, getting my, don't take what I want. Stay out of my way. The enemy tricks us into thinking that self-absorption is a necessity in our culture. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Self-centeredness, self-absorption is literally the most toxic thing to the Christian life. When I think of some of the people who I know who are self-absorbed and, and greedy and they're constantly pulling to themselves and they have a ton of stuff and no generosity, they are the most miserable, wretched souls I know. When there's no generosity, no pouring out, just gathering in, well, the Bible has the perfect image of it. It's the Dead Sea. The Jordan River flows continually into the Dead Sea, but it has no outlet. It is a wasteland. Nothing lives in it. And so it's true of the Christian life that doesn't get in tune with one central thing. That the goal of Christ is that you would pour your life out in service. You would pour your life out and not be selfish. Satan's goal is your destruction, and he doesn't care if the destruction comes from the outside into your life or it starts in your heart where joy should have been and slowly grows its way out like mold into your other, the rest of your life. And we have all these Christians who are like, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Oh, what color is your joy? Is it dark as night? Because that seems scary, sir, right? You look at it and you're like, why would you not have any love and vivacious, like winsome engagement? Because it's not joy. It's self-centered grasping for, for you. Here's what Paul says. Everyone looks out for their own interests, but not the interest of Christ. Look at that verse. Paul is telling us something. Can you pull that back up for me, Craig? That verse says, um, everyone is looking out for their own interest, but not the interest of Christ. We must be consumed with the interest of Christ. You're, if, so let me say this. If you're like, I'm a social justice advocate, that's fine. Let your interest be the interest of Christ, because so is he. Not one person on this globe does not bear the image of God. All of them do. Every person is worthy of the blood of Christ and redemption. God is interested in social justice, and we will see it come to pass, not as social justice, but as living redemption when we take up the interests of Christ and not self-interest. We have to get our hearts right with this. His interests free us from being selfish. His interests draw us into life to the full. Everything else is respun self-centeredness. So we can't just be worried about others and different issues. We have to have the interests of Christ. Uh, next thing is there should be joy in our work. There should be joy in the work we do. I will tell you this, like sin is not the reason we have work. There was work before sin. Actually, the Apostle Paul says it this way in uh, Philippians 2, uh, 15, 
14 and 15. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars, shine among them like stars in the sky. I love this. Paul creates kind of a juxtaposition here, two different worlds. You will stand out if you quit grumbling and arguing. If you quit worrying about what you were called to do and quit being bitter that you have to do it. There are days where you don't want to, and that is true. And it's okay to be like, man, I don't want this today, but that shouldn't be the end of the sentence. Adam had work in the garden. Everybody's had work since. Work can be a part of life to the full, but here's what I know. When we find our purpose in Christ, our work takes on tremendous meaning. I have seen Christians doing crazy different kinds of work. In my life, I get to see, I have seen people out digging in ghastly heat as their profession with a shovel. From America to the rest of the world, I have seen people out going at it. I have seen people in the legal profession navigating red tape and a joyless bureaucracy and still having the joy of the Lord in their work and finding purpose in it. I have seen school teachers go up against the tide of a culture that does not invest in its children and say, no, I'm still going to pour in, I'm still going to love, and find purpose in their work. I have seen people cleaning toilets. I have seen people in the best jobs we can possibly imagine to. Every job in between, and I will tell you this, the only ones, the only ones that do it with a sense of winsome engagement, no matter the task, are the ones who understand the purposes of God are quite often fulfilled in the work we put our hand to. No matter what the work is, it's the heart that comes with it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand to this, especially if you're on staff at the foundry here, but how many of you have someone you work with and when they're sick, you're like, thank you, Jesus, for a day of blessed reprieve. Anybody else? Yeah, you know that person. You're like, I can imagine them right now. We're their pinata and I'm beating them, but still, right? We all know that. We all know that. But what if you stop giving voice to the grumbling and the arguing and the bitterness? What if you quit dealing with it out of here? You hold, you get a grip on your tongue and you quit grumbling and complaining. I'll tell you this, after a while you realize you're not fixating on it as much. There's no voice to it. You don't hear it all the time. Because it turns out you're the voice. And all of a sudden you'll notice that your mind is changing a little. And eventually that person who literally is like a blister on a long run is, no, is nothing. They're fine, whatever. Do what you got to do, you know. I'm fine whether you're here or not. My joy isn't compromised. You're not the fixation and focus of my day. After a while, you'll have a change of heart and a change of mind. The work you do will become something more winsome and engaged for the purposes of Christ. So let's look at this and understand it is work to engage on God's terms, not ours. And there should be joy in our work, and its opponent is laziness. Its opponent is laziness. Laziness likes to have us pull back into me time. 
And we've got to be careful of this. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, I believe. For as I, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and their mind is set only on this stuff here. Like, that's terrifying. It's terrifying in a country where for the first time in recorded history of the world, we can have any kind of food, anytime we want, just make a call. And now Uber Eats and everybody else, they'll bring it to our doorstep because we can't waddle out. Our God is our stomach. Right? Everything We can have anything we want. So we just keep taking in. Our glory is our shame. Our minds are set on earthly things. It says this, we are settling in for an easy ride. And I think Jesus would be like, what about that call to take up your cross and follow me? What about the call to a life that, yes, is not as comfortable as this, but it is as joyfully purposeful as anything your heart would desire? And it will last a lot longer than that thing you need right now, that thing you want right now. We have to look at this and understand there should be joy in our labor and not an easy giving in to our appetites and immediate desires. Those who grumble and complain, they argue, they serve their whims. But I will tell you this, remember the story, and I got a lot of negative feedback on this, so I'm going to say it again. Um, Remember the story of the wolf and the knife, the immediate gratification that ends up killing you and your spiritual impact that God had planned for you. Finally, there should be joy in your rest and play. There should be joy in your rest and play. One of the things I love about Michigan most, having moved up here a number of years ago, and it was so cold, um, out west we see the sun in Colorado and San Diego where I lived uh, pretty much every day. It was like 350 days a year. You at least see that bright yellow ball in the sky. And my first time here, we went a month without seeing the sun, and I looked like something unhealthy. I was just like, is it still there? You know, people are like, sun rises in the east. No, it doesn't. There's this huge gray flannel over the sky, and I can't take it. I was drinking whole milk, anything for some vitamin D. Can I get some help, right? I was dying. I was dying. But then the weirdest thing happened. Tulips came out of the ground, and there is a bunch of the whitest legs ever seen by human eyes, ever seen. And like, we're going to go for a run. And everybody, like, that first warm day of spring when it's like 48 and everybody's like, boom, hello. And they come out and kids are on big wheels and riding around. It's like Americana all of a sudden. And then summer came and the lake lost its glaciers. And I was like, oh, there's a beach. This is great. We can finally play in the water and it not hurt our face. This is awesome. I loved it. I saw people start playing. And I heard pastors like, yeah, all these people, they get their cottages and they go away for the weekend. I'm like, let's just do church on Monday. Let them go play. My gosh, it's only three months and it'll be back. Like, go rest. Go play. It's why we started Monday. So you can go if you want to. So you can go. Work and rest and play. Live together in healthy harmony. And there should be joy in it. Paul says it this way. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's the thing. There has to be rhythms of joy in our rest and our play. We should be able to shut off the work, grind, throw the phone in a drawer, or maybe just set fire to it, and walk away, right? Walk away from the demands and the tyranny of the urgent and stop giving in to things that try to rob us of this. You can have fun. One of our values at the Foundry Church is literally seriously fun. It's a value in this church. And it says this, we take the gospel seriously, never ourselves. That's why Justin and I did an amazing Grammy-earning duet this morning. Because I'm going to have fun being a pastor. I'm going to have fun. There are days where it's really lame. But there are days where it's a hoot. That's right, I said hoot. And it's awesome, and I enjoy it, and I'm going to enjoy this life. There should be rest in play. We should have fun. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So surround yourself with the wonderful, beautiful, good things in this life. Just don't let them become the God things in your life. Don't let them become the gods in your life that seek to rob from you the very identity Christ died to give you. You can rest. Jesus would rest. He would go away and spend time in isolation. He would climb a mountaintop and spend time in prayer. I know a lot of people this time of year who climb a tree and sit in it for hours. They're like, that's my church. Well, that's a lie, but it's a great place to just have some quiet with God, praying that something with bones growing out of its head comes by so you can smite it, but still, right? It's a great place to have some rest and some play and to really enjoy it. The reality is this. God gave us a break. At the end of creation, God took the Sabbath, he made it holy, and he said, Take a day with nothing and just be with me. Enjoy me. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your church family. Enjoy being at rest and at play. Because I'll tell you this, there is a thief that wants to rob you of it and make you feel like you're living in sin. If you're on a, like seriously, when I first moved to Michigan, I remember hearing people say, well, we can swim on Sundays, we just can't splash. I'm like, that's not swimming. That's like being soup. I hate that. Like, like a potato floating in the, ugh. What? Well, we can run on Sunday, but we can't run and laugh. And I'm like, oh, you're serious. We can never go out to eat on Sunday. I'm like, so you're just going to make your mom work hard, but what happens? Right? There were all these rules. You can't do these things. There was, well, there was the joy of rest and false guilt, man-made rules that seek to rob you of what God intended to give you. And we have to understand, joy in your rest and play has an opponent, and it's false guilt. It wants to rob you of the opportunity you have to fully engage this life. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers who mutilate the flesh. This is what he's saying. There, there were Jewish people coming into the early churches who were converts, and they said this, you have to get circumcised, which if you don't know what that is, talk to somebody, and um, you have to get circumcised if you're really going to be a Christian. If you're really going to be a Christian, you've got to have something removed in order to be right. And Paul's like, that's a lie. That's false guilt. You're fine. 
you're fine. The sign and seal of redemption on your life is the blood of Christ and the waters of baptism. It is not circumcision. Don't live in the false rules that become law. Don't let the laws of the land fall around you as shackles to your soul. The reality is not everybody likes cottages. Not everybody likes going to the beach. That's fine. If you like baseball and you'd rather go to a game, go to a game with your family. Don't fall into the trap of having to do what everybody else likes in their life. My family likes to travel, so we don't have toys, right? We don't have the jet skis and the boats and things. Love it, but it's just not my priority. I would much rather walk through an ancient part of the world. I'm a dork. I get it. I'm a nerd. I like museums. It's fine with me. You can judge me later, but the reality is it's okay if you don't. doesn't mean you're bad just means I like better things. Um, <laughs> um, here's the thing for us. We need to understand that Paul promised us something, that if we hold the joy of the Lord in our heart, he said, it will be your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And one of the participations we have, worship team, why don't you guys come on up? One of the participations we have in the joy of the Lord is recognizing that we come to moments in our life where we stand up and we raise our voice in recognition of who God is and what he called us to be. And the first and foremost thing we were called to be in this life were people who fixed our eyes on the one who is God above our circumstances. So I invite you, I invite you to take this moment right now. I'm going to have you bow your heads. We're going to spend a quick moment in silence and then We're just going to stand up and raise our voices because we know this. The joy of the Lord, it is our strength. But it's not something we have on the outside. It literally grows from within us and transforms who we are on the outside. Take a moment of silence with me. As we go from this place... I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ and that you would know this knowledge, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forever. Amen. Friends, I invite you to leave this place today with a hope that says your circumstances, they kneel to the cross. Your circumstances aren't your God. If you are bound by something, we have prayer stations up here. We'd love to pray with you. If you just want to pray about something, come up. We'd love to pray with you. But I encourage you this. May it be said of the church as we leave this place and in the days, months, and weeks going ahead that that is a place where people, regardless of their circumstances, know the joy of the Lord because it lives. Down in my heart? Oh, where and amen, I'll take it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're dismissed. The church must leave the building. We really hope that God spoke something powerful into your life today. An important goal of ours here is to get people into our weekly rhythm of worship, groups, and being in the Word. 
One of the ways that you can be a part of that is by going to our website, foundrychurch.net, and from there, you can find a link to our devotions page. We're glad that you took the time to listen to this message, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. Mm-hmm.